This is Kick-Ass News. I'm Ben Mathis. Hey folks, I hope you'll spread the word about Kick-Ass News and share us with at least two friends this week. Or better yet, share Kick-Ass News with all your friends on Facebook or Twitter. And if you really want to help, donate to our GoFundMe campaign at GoFundMe.com slash KickAssNews. Thanks for listening, and now enjoy the podcast. Hi, I'm Ben Mathis, and welcome to Kick-Ass News. My guest today is W. Kamau Bell. He's a sociopolitical comedian and host of the hit Emmy Award-nominated CNN docuseries United Shades of America. Before United Shades, Kamau was best known for his critically acclaimed FX comedy series Totally Biased with W. Kamau Bell. Kamau recently released his third comedy album, Semi-Prominent Negro, and he has a monthly public radio show, Kamau Right Now, that airs on KALW in San Francisco. Kamau also co-hosts two podcasts, Politically Reactive, and Denzel Washington is the greatest actor of all time, period. Kamau has appeared on HBO's Real Time with Bill Maher, At Midnight, Chelsea, Conan, WTF with Mark Maron, The Rachel Maddow Show, The View, Fresh Air with Terry Gross, The Nerdist, and This American Life. And his writing has appeared in VanityFair.com, Salon, MSNBC.com, BuzzFeed, and The Hollywood Reporter. The New York Times called Kamau the most promising new talent in political comedy in many years, and SF Weekly called Kamau smart, stylish, and very much in the mold of politically outspoken comedians like Dave Chappelle. Now Kamau has a new book coming out on May 2nd, and season two of United Shades of America premieres this Sunday, April 30th, at 10 Eastern on CNN. Today, Kamau joins me to talk about some of his experiences on the road with United Shades, including a lesson in online marketing from the KKK, a leisurely stroll through the neighborhood with one of the most notorious gangs in Chicago's South Side, and what it's like to open carry while black. We debate the merits of Denzel Washington, the phrase all lives matter, and whether the term Negro is actually racist. Plus, a white nationalist who has a big problem with the idea of a black James Bond. Coming up with comedian W. Kamau Bell in just a moment. W. Kamau Bell is the sociopolitical comedian who's the host of the Emmy-nominated hit CNN docuseries United Shades of America. Kamau is also the host of Kamau Right Now, a public radio talk show that airs on KALW in San Francisco, and a co-host of the podcast Politically Reactive, and Denzel Washington is the greatest actor of all time, period. Meh. Debatable. United Shades of America returns for its second season Sunday, April 3rd at 10 Eastern. Kamal, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks. You already started in trouble. Debatable. You, <laughs> you just angered some of my view, from some of my listeners who are listening right now. Oh, okay. Do you have a good following for that? Yeah. <laughs> you That's that like, not like, a niche thing? It's. I mean, it's, you know, it's. we have a good following and it's a niche <laughs> thing. And then niche things. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You so, say that like Denzel's like an actor who people haven't, don't have a lot I of like feelings him. about. Yeah, yeah. I I like him, but greatest actor ever, Ricochet, 
virtuosity. You can't judge people by their lowest scores. That's not you know. Is okay. there any actor who doesn't have a low score? Okay, but but, but even Training Day, which was a great movie. Oops, that's Uh-oh, me. See, that's Denzel. <laughs> that's, that's Denzel, Denzel calling. Oh, no. Like, uh, are you speaking? Are you blaspheming? <laughs> yeah, he hears everything. Uh, even Training Day, which is a great movie, and he's great in it. I kind of think that he was starting to approach that crazy loud Al Pacino territory. Yeah, and he Al Pacino won an Oscar for one of those. Hoo-ha! <laughs> so did he get a, wait, did he get an Oscar he for He won that an one? Oscar for Cinema oh, Woman because he beat okay. Denzel. Denzel was nominated for Malcolm X. Okay. I got deep knowledge here. It's so just proof that people like lose their mind and then go downhill as soon as they get an Oscar. <laughs> um, I don't know. He just did Fences. That seems like it doesn't seem too far down the hill. No, no. He's, no, he definitely redeemed himself with Fences. Yeah. Now, first off, I have to ask. How often do people confuse you with Dr. Cornell West? Uh, the older I get, the more often it happens because the gray's starting to come in. I'm starting to compete with him on the gray scale. Yeah. But yes. He, he's I mean, probably it, got 20 years on you, huh? He doesn't more have as many as I'd like to think he does. Really? Yeah. He's, he just seems like he's a guy. He's probably a dude who seemed like he was 40 when he was 25. So, uh, yeah. No, he, uh, no, I, I actually, one time I was in Madison, Wisconsin at an event that he was at, and people said, thank you for coming to me several times. So, yeah. <laughs> People only have so much room in their head for black guys with big afros and glasses. <laughs> well, Kamau, your show, United Shades of America, seems to have come about at the perfect time as an antidote to the current atmosphere of divisiveness and this desire on the part of some to want to put people into this category of the other. You pitched this show to CNN as a black guy goes to places he shouldn't go or you wouldn't expect him to go. <laughs> yeah, when we were first talking about it, it was it had been pitched to them under a different idea, and I sort of like wanted to, I'd had an idea in my head, and so I was like, can I do this idea with your idea? And that was the idea I had of like, <laughs> you want there to be a sense every week of some sort of jeopardy, whether it's physical or emotional <laughs> or psychological or, you know, you just want there to be a sense of like, like, Shows that people like a lot were just me walking around Alaska just because yeah. I looked funny. Like, just because it was like, he really, he looks very cold. And so I think that people like to see, and this is true of anything, people like to see their, their performers work. And they mm-hmm. like to see, and I think some people like to see them work more than others. So, Were you always someone who felt comfortable getting out of your comfort zone? Or do you have to steel yourself before you go into some of these interviews? No, my, rest, my resting rate is at home on the couch. I think yeah. that, you know, it's funny. I, that I would just sort of like to, if I if I had my own choices and access to all the funds I needed, I would be at home all the time. <laughs> so, But but that's not how uh, the world works. And so for me, it's like, well, if I'm going to leave, I want to do something that, I, I want to come back with a story. I think mm-hmm. that's how it comes. I want to be able to say. And also, if we're going to make TV, you know, w, the W. Cornell Couch Show. Well, maybe if this show's such a big hit, I can spin off into that. But we need to do something. I was very aware with CNN. They already had Bourdain. They already had Lisa Ling. Right. That there are people who already have a brand of doing this. I didn't have a brand mm-hmm. of doing this. So I was like, we have to do something that feels that we're doing our own thing. Yeah. Well, I was reading when you were a kid, it said that you kind of lived all over the place in Chicago, mm-hmm. Boston, Palo Alto, Indiana. Mm-hmm. How much of that experience Alabama. influenced Alabama? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so we can't leave out Alabama. Yeah, That's the big one. How much of that went into this show? How much of that inspired you to want to seek different perspectives out there? I think you just naturally do that when you travel around a lot, when you move yeah. around a lot as a kid. You f- you sort of don't seek different perspectives, but you find different perspectives, and then then wherever you are, people are talking about the people who live in the place you just came from. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd be in 
like I'd be in uh, Alabama and they'd be like, you're going to Chicago? They're going to make you join a gang. And then you'd be in <laughs> Chicago, you're going to Alabama? They're going to lynch you. You know, like, so it's like, there's just all this thing. I'm like, guys, I do this every summer. Every summer yeah. I go back and forth. So, uh, you know, it's just like you sort of realize that people have very stringent ideas about everybody but themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, you, well, you have, you're going to do that. And so I think it sort of naturally bit that I started doing comedy. When I started doing comedy, it sort of naturally occurred that I was very aware that like people have really that I that I could talk about having been all over the country. And then as a stand up comic I've traveled all over the country so and then with the show I'm still doing it and it just so happens that I'm doing it at a time where people are really even retreating more or there's a tendency for people to retreat more into their holes. You started out the first season by going and interviewing the KKK or various KKK members, yeah, yeah, not, just, not a yeah, lot of not, attention. Not so thing, there's really no yeah. such thing as the KKK. It's like, yeah, it's like Al Qaeda. You can start your own chapter right away. It's like <laughs> ISIS. You can invent your own new ISIS chapter. Do you think that that bought you a little bit of goodwill with CNN to allow you to kind of dig deeper into stories and get into some more nuance once you kind of took on the biggest boogeyman out there in the first episode? Well, it's funny. I, th- I think that it at least showed them that I was trying to do something that they weren't already, they didn't already have. Yeah. Like, there was a lot of, I, that was the pilot episode. That's the idea. That's the, the show that sold the series. And there was a lot of talk about what we should do. And we could have picked a simpler, easier idea. But I felt like if we're going to show that this show is not like anything else in their network, mm-hmm. let's do something that nobody else has done. And there was support around that, but it was certainly my idea. I was one that said the KKK. Really? And at some point, somebody was like, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, don't, I, think, I don't think they would have thought that. And also, I think like a lot of if people- If there's an point, award for the dumbest black man in America, you <laughs> might get a nomination. I think crazy. I think I'd like crazy. crazy. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. fair yeah. enough. Dumb would be if I showed up and was like, hey guys, can I join? That's that dumb. I was like, hey guys, can we talk? And then I'll leave. But- uh yeah, so I, I I think that you know I knew we do something that hadn't been that nobody else like if Bourdain goes to the clan he's talking about the food you know like, and so I they, I didn't have much to say about the food and they didn't offer me much food but for me it was just like we got to do something and and also but CNN wasn't super at that point we, this is pre Trump in office nobody was really right. talking about those issues in the same way so a lot of people yeah. were like why the clan why are you talking about them and then cut to and even at that point he wasn't re- I don't even think he was running yet so yeah. So was, now, okay. But then it looks yeah. now it looks like you were there. Before, <laughs> you were there at the birth of all this in some yeah. sense. So this was before the David Duke comment. Yeah, this, is what, this was we probably oh, did that. Okay. I didn't Oct- even remember that. We did that. Oh. I mean, we because we also filmed yeah. it and it was, it was, was a long time year. before it aired. So it mm-hmm. aired it aired April of 2016. We filmed yeah. it in August of 2015. So like yeah. there was no and the David Duke thing happened in February of 2016. Yeah. Or the yeah, the David Duke clan CNN clip happened in February of 2016. I have all my clan dates down. <laughs> One of the things that I think stood out most to me, you know, aside from the fact that you attended a cross burning, <laughs> is cross lighting. That's how they call oh, it. Oh, lighting. Right, right, right. Um, is one of these clansmen at the very end or somewhere in there couldn't help plugging their website during the interview. Yes. But it was something weird, like. The letter is like www.ikkkkkk5ks.org. I think he threw an extra W online marketing. Yeah, I think it was like www. I think there's an extra W. That's why I asked him to repeat it. And he, I think he repeated it the same way both times. Yeah, I mean, it was funny to me 
that he won was going to plug himself, and two that I asked that when I was like, I don't think that dress makes sense, and I, asked, I was like, yeah. that's the little that's the little touch of like Five the comedian of like, oh, that's funny. I should have him do it again. Could you repeat that, sir? Like that's the comedian <laughs> touch that separates me from a journalist yeah. or another person on CNN. I'm looking for those opportunities yeah. and really trying to work them. Yeah, well, and also say no, he got to put his website out there. Yeah, like, so, like, yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, there's no such thing as bad publicity. You know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. You know, I me being me just have curiosity i had to then go online and find out who has kkk.org oh yeah that's probably a popular one well it turns out like i got some shady pop-up alert saying my computer may have been infected by a virus or something that's funny (laughs) i don't know if anonymous like got to i mean i would imagine that i would imagine that the streets are hot at kkk.org.com.net.us i would imagine that those (laughs) that if you're going to get that that yeah that those websites are probably dealing with a lot of traffic and probably a lot of traffic they don't want so yeah I mean ironically I imagine the clan rednecks probably have a better than average response rate to Nigerian email scams <laughs> I would imagine too the funny thing is that we learned from looking at their websites not really too good at HTML like yeah. a lot of the websites are not they look yes. like look like the early days of website yeah. like where it's like it's like a green background with red print or something yeah. you're like huh I can't read this it's hurting my eyes no not we- a lot of word press and uh and uh what's that other website wix not a, not a lot of wix and squarespace websites i mean were you doing these kind of interviews with people like that kind of like stephen colbert or like borat where you maybe had someone from cnn book the interview and then maybe let them assume that you might be a white guy no they were all were pretty up i think because we're cnn we can't really screw with C- i mean i don't think i'd want to do that anyway yeah i do want people to be prepared for the thing because i i also don't yeah. want people to not i mean i think with with borat Especially, there's a thing where them leaving is part of the gag, or yeah. them saying I'm offended and running out of the room. That's part of what he wants. Yeah, I'm not. Tr- I actually want that you to stay in the room as long purpose. as possible. No, so yeah. with like the clan, people are like, why didn't you punch him? Because then the interview's over. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like that's not. I you know I'm not trying to get ratings that way. So for me, it was like. I think that the, from what I understand, because I didn't have to make these calls, but the producers were like, hey, hey, clan people, do you want to talk to CNN? And then a lot of them were like, no. And then the ones that are left, okay, you do, good. Uh, It's going to be a black host, no. And then the ones that are left, (laughs) and he's a comedian, no. And then you're left with like four groups. So (laughs) I think it was a whittling down process. I really only want to talk to people who want to talk to me. I'm not trying to do... You know, shock interviews or so. I I mean, you can be shocked by the content, but I'm not trying to. I really, when if you agree to talk to me, I'm going to be as respectful as I can be, considering the circumstances, and and leave you in a sense. It's like, all right, well, it's nice talking to you, even if you know, even if it wasn't. You know, I've had way more contentious conversations with people who I was shocked were contentious than with people who Mm -hmm. were like, you know, the. You know, so and I think, but while at the same time, even though me and the clan were polite to each other, you still were like. (laughs) They, it, it's more interesting to have a, a polite conversation where they get to say whatever they want to say mm-hmm. and be comfortable so they can go and you yeah. go wow they actually believe these things as yeah. opposed to like me trying to step on them or me trying to get yeah. some I still got jokes in you know <laughs> you know said clan yeah. Christmas card I think that was a, I thought it was pretty funny about that <laughs> yeah and in your season two opener this time around it dovetails nicely with that first episode from last season because you start by talking with a guy named Richard Spencer who supposedly coined the term alt-right, and he runs a white nationalist group. 
the funny thing is that he even tries to relate to you when he introduces himself. He's all like, hey, my man, <laughs> what's up? <laughs> like, Let's get he, jiggy. He was ha- yeah, <laughs> he was having a good day. That was right after Trump had won. Yeah. This was his big conference that he has. Oh, I guess okay. he has it every year, every so often. And so, but it was especially, they were especially excited because Trump had won. And because Trump had won, and he is a guy who coined alt right, and, and Trump was associated with Steve Bannon at that point, you know, he was uh, he was having his moment of like really national acclaim. So there were a lot of people that are interview interview him from many different media outlets, and so he was really kind of like you know like seeing a big chicken, like a big he's the cock of the walk. Like he was just sort of like, and you know, dressed very nicely, and and I think the reason why he is the one of the leaders of that movement is because he sort of gets how TV works, and he also mm-hmm. knows how to, like, wash his hair and put on some nice clothes. So, <laughs> uh, And, you know, for what he is, he's the most charismatic of that movement. And so mm-hmm. I think he knows. And he also knows how to sit down and have a conversation. We had a conversation, and we didn't agree with everything, but we had a conversation that means that, again, people are going to get to hear him talk and go, this guy really thinks these things. Yeah. And, you know, whereas a lot of those people, they like I was there, a lot of those people couldn't even look me in the face. Yeah, because they, even though they they think whites white supremacy, white nationalism, whites are supreme, black people are the whatever, aren't as good. When when a black guy's in the room, especially there are there was a yeah. maybe one or two black people there, but a black guy's in the room who they know doesn't agree with them, they sort of don't know how to deal with it. And one guy yeah. kept walking over to me like he was like, I wish I had the courage to punch you. But I was like, <laughs> but he's like, but you're so much taller than I expected. Like it was just like you know they don't actually know how to deal with it because as much as they hate these things, they don't actually deal with these things up close. Yeah, and you know when you encounter a guy like that who doesn't hide behind a robe, mm-hmm. you know he wears a three-piece suit. Yeah, give him credit. He's all you know. No, he's almost, no hoods on him. Yeah, he's almost matter of fact about his beliefs. Does it maybe even scare you more than the Klan in the sense that you know we kind of know what the Klan is? They've been ostracized from society. They hide under the robes, but there are these groups that have emerged now where they don't wear the costumes that separate them from civilized society. And they're subtly normalizing racism and kind of rephrasing the language of hate. Well, I mean, you know, let's be clear about this. The Klan only rose and only rises when it's not okay to say those things out loud mm-hmm. with you. You know, exactly. where you can't you can't go to work and be like, you know, where, where you can't say to the people of color like, oh, we don't hire people of color here. <laughs> like, you know, the, 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 during the Klan, let's be the Klan comes out of Reconstruction. The Klan does, yeah. does not exist during slavery. Like, right. there's no need for like <laughs> people to hide their faces when they're being racist. So, I mean, I think this is sort of where America likes things that are retro. This is retro racism. Yeah. It's out loud and in your face. And so that's yeah. that's the thing I feel about. It's like this is actually how it used to be. Like people yeah. could be racist out loud and in your face and talk to you very directly. And I think mm-hmm. that's what you're seeing in the country. A lot of people are like, finally, I can do that again the way my dad yeah. told me he did it, the way my grandfather always talked yeah. about. You know, so I think that that's what it is. It's not like a new thing. It's a return yeah. to an old idea of like, yeah. can we do? Can I just say how I feel, even if mm-hmm. even if it's actually illegal and not and I can get to, you know and we've we've worked hard to make sure that I can't actually enact these feelings or yeah. you know yeah and this guy Richard Spencer he dresses like something out of mad men and the best part was he gets all upset when you suggest casting a black man as James Bond that's I know what really that was, got under his skin that's what was really fun to me about that interview is like I know that he had a bunch of interviews that day and probably did a bunch after we talked to him and he didn't have an interview like that. And I don't, I didn't, I don't believe, I don't know how he got to Black James Bond, but I was just, when I realized it was making him so bothered, I was like, I kept going back to it, like, are you really upset about that? Because <laughs> as, as, 
I don't actually care if there's a black James Bond. Like that's not my big. <laughs> that's not my big thing. What Denzel? That, you know, I if mean, I there would go, was, I'd go. Would it have to it. be Denzel? No, he's too old for that. Okay. At one point, yes. If it was the '90s, yes. But now, I think we Idris Elba. It's, it's Idris Elba's job to lose. <laughs> okay. Uh, but I think that uh, if you know when you that means like he actually was as bo- he was more bothered by that than a lot of the other stuff we were talking about. Mm-hmm. I just think that like yeah, yeah. that's when you go. It's this is really like a deep dark thing inside of you. It's yeah. not. You, and it, to me, if you're bothered about Black James Bond, then I don't know that your hatred makes sense because who mm. cares? Like, <laughs> I don't think they should make any more James Bond movies. That's my point. I think we've seen enough. But like, if you're, I want representation, but I don't specifically care about Black James Bond. You know, I just would like good movies starring lots of people of color. I don't care about specifically, but he really was taking it personally, which yeah. is again, and he was sort of dressed the way that Daniel Craig would dress in like the, yeah. like in the middle of a James Bond movie, yeah. not the beginning or the end, but like in the middle when he's at the casino. Yeah. I got to give you credit because in that same situation with that group you articulated probably the best conservative argument against a border wall you say you know doesn't it seem like a huge waste of money yeah I'm like you're yeah. supposed to be fiscal conservatives <laughs> and you want to waste a bunch of money on this bullshit wall that won't even accomplish your yeah, goal it's not gonna, yeah i mean that's why i was like can't we just that's what i'm Give trying to do is like i'm not gonna I'm not going to argue with you about the morality of it. I'm going to argue with it about the fiscal conservativeness of it. Like, forget the forget that it, you shouldn't that we are we haven't been at war with Mexico in over 100 years. Forget that our economy actually operates a lot because of the people who come across the border and the companies exploit that labor. Forget all that stuff. Yeah. it's just a big waste of money. And, yeah. and there's no, but it's Mexico's money. Yeah, it's exactly <laughs> yes, because Mexico is waiting for the. They're like President Trump. Please call us and let us know when it's when it's time to sign that check. We have yeah. the check out. We're just waiting for the invoice. Just, just yeah, just invoice us for the wall. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, I think it's yeah that and they but they and that's when you find out. I mean, the logic doesn't. It's not a consistent viewpoint. Yeah. It's not. It's yeah, about not at all. it's about some, something somebody hurt you a long time ago. And this is how you're enacting your hurt. So, yeah. you know, it's not it, – that's what happened with Trump. Like, they're fans of Trump, and Trump's not espousing uh, consistent viewpoints either. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like – but it's just about, like, we need a hero. <laughs> like, they just want a hero. It's not, about, it's not about actually a leader. It's about a hero. It's about, a, it's about something from a movie. We're going to take a quick break, and then I'll be back with more with W. Kamal Bell when we come back in just a moment. Amazon's acclaimed crime series, Bosch, is back for a third season. Titus Welliver stars as Detective Harry Bosch, an honest cop driven by a dark past who's obsessed with punishing criminals no matter what the cost. Haunted by the discovery that his mother's murder was covered up by the police, Bosch also finds himself implicated in the death of a serial killer he's investigating. Now Bosch must navigate the dangerous waters of a police department that believes he's guilty while working with a partner who is no longer sure he can trust him. Bosch will fight to prove his innocence even as he pursues a dangerous group of ex-Special Forces assassins willing to kill anyone who gets in their way. Against the glamour and seediness of Los Angeles, Bosch will risk everything to clear his name while bringing down the murderous crime ring, no matter how many rules he has to break to do it. Based on the best-selling novels by Michael Connelly, stream season three now on Amazon Prime. And now, back to the podcast. You actually visited Chicago to talk about gang violence, and you were walking through the hood with some gangs in the south side of Chicago, I think Mm -hmm. it was. Which was scarier, the KKK or that situation? 
That's a good question. Which was I, probably the gang thing, just because I knew that in the KKK situation, I would, I was pretty sure you we were only dealing on with, the good behavior. We were only <laughs> we were only dealing with the people there. Like, there's not yeah. like we weren't in clan country, right? Like, there wasn't like everybody in this town is a clansman. Like, you know. <laughs> whereas with the with the uh, with the gang thing, it's like I'm talking to these dudes who are in gangs, but there's probably also gang members all around us who were mm-hmm. probably not happy about the fact that we're doing. And with the clan, we were sort of in the forest, which was scary for its own reason. But this, we were out in the open, and so I was a little mm-hmm. bit like. Maybe these guys are cool, but how do I know somebody else somewhere isn't going to be upset about these cameras? Because people are not happy about the cameras generally. So, you know, I think I was. But having said that, the dudes who I was with were very clear about like, oh, no, we've cleared this, Mm -hmm. which I thought was pretty like it was pretty amazing to be like, oh, no, no, we're 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 protecting this area. Yeah. Which was just like, wait, what? That's interesting. Yeah. So (laughs) it's like in a sense that they were like, we we are making it okay that this is happening. Not to say nothing couldn't have jumped off, but it was like they were. They did whatever the like the Secret yeah. Service shows up someplace before the president goes there. Like they made sure that this yeah. was that we could do this. And the fact that there was nobody uh, around, I think, was indicative of the fact that people are like, let's just not be on camera. Yeah, it, you know, it reminds me. It's a little bit like a few decades ago or whatever. You know, they would always say there was zero crime rate in John Gotti's neighborhood. Exactly. You know? <laughs> yes. 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 No. That's 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 how that works. When that's why you know when organized crime was more organized, it actually worked pretty well. <laughs> and the reason why John people like John Gotti existed, especially in the old days of organized crime, is because the cops weren't protecting those mm-hmm. neighborhoods. Right. Now, I'm not in any way saying that gangs in Chicago are doing that because it's not organized. <laughs> and that's what they would yeah. say. It's not. There was a point at which, and they talk, we talked about this in the episode a little bit. Like the gang leaders of Chicago did control the neighborhoods like mm-hmm. that. Like, do not come into this neighborhood and start trouble. Mm-hmm. This is it's about it's really about the business of moving like drugs in and out of here, mm-hmm. and we don't need more trouble than that. Yeah. But now it's not about that anymore. There's not it's not that it's about it's sort of the the gangs been broken up. It's about the it's about the fact that there is literally there's no jobs here. Mm-hmm. The schools are closing, or they're not very good. We're not getting educated, and there's no opportunity to get out of here. And mm-hmm. so. That's when that's when crime spikes. Yeah. Now in that these are easy things to fix. That's the funny thing. It's not like it's hard to figure out. How do we stop this? It's like, well, why don't you make the schools better? Why don't you Why don't you actually encourage businesses to invest in these neighborhoods? Yeah. Treat the root cause. Yeah. Neighborhoods Mm -hmm. that have lots of industry, even lots of shop, lots of stores, and lots of businesses, and have good schools don't have don't generally have high crime rates. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you talk about Black Lives Matter in that episode. And the response to that, this mm-hmm. phrase, all lives matter, does is that a phrase that you find offensive, all lives matter? I don't find it offensive. I find, I think that people use it are often confused by it. I don't think mm-hmm. they, most times they don't need, they don't even mean to, they think they're helping in some way. Mm-hmm. Oh, Black Lives Matter. I can do one better. All lives matter. Like It's like <laughs> they think that, they yeah. kind of think, did you guys think about this? What about all lives matter? <laughs> and I've talked to two of the founders of Black Lives Matter, Patrice Cullors and Alicia Garza, mm-hmm. who are like, look, it is about the fact that we needed to talk about Black Lives Mattering, and it is about the fact that, that that's specifically what we were talking about. Yeah. So can we have that conversation? Mm-hmm. That's It's not about like, oh, it was the best hashtag ever came, that anybody ever came up with. It's about specifically that's what the conversation we were asking people to have. And when you say all lives matter, you're saying, I don't want to have that conversation. Yeah. I mean, yeah, all lives matter, but not all lives are in the crosshairs. <laughs> yeah. And it's also all li- it's It's not black lives matter is, is like a demand. It's really should be. It's like it's like, again, they were just sort of it's fun. The, the, the catchphrase came out of a like we need to declare that black lives matter. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is. All lives matter isn't true. Mm-hmm. 
it should you could say all lives should matter, but it's just not. Right. If all lives mattered, right. then That's we wouldn't have to say black lives matter. Yeah. yeah, and again, it's like let's be clear: the Black Lives Matter people know it's also trans lives matter mm-hmm. and brown lives matter yeah. and native lives matter. It's a you know, it's not just a linear black and white thing. Yeah, and you know, one of the most reassuring things for me was to see you, a black man, in this position. And I think you were talking to a Native American attorney. Mm-hmm. Where you start off, your first question was, you know, you're a little nervous, and you're like, w- "What should I say? Indian, mm-hmm. Native America? Mm-hmm. For for a black to see a black man be like, well, I don't know, what's the appropriate term for you? Yeah, I think there's some idea. Sometimes white people have that all the black, all the brown people, all we all get along. Yeah, <laughs> we, yeah. we all we all go to the same meetings, <laughs> and I think a lot of times we don't know that much about each other either because we're working on our own causes. So mm-hmm. definitely, it was like, and I think that was a great thing about the great thing about the show in general is like. I allow myself to ask the dumb questions out loud that a lot of times people are afraid to ask or embarrassed of asking. Yeah. And it sort of models that you can do it if you do it respectfully. Yeah. Like don't walk up to a native person in the streets and go, excuse me, don't walk up to a native person in the streets and go, excuse me, I need to ask you some <laughs> questions about your life. That's not how you do it. The way you do it is to sort of, if you find it. Start a conversation. Start a, start a, conversation. Start a relationship with this yeah. person. And yeah. then that can lead to real conversation. Yeah. Well, then I have to ask because this is something that I have talked with my white friends about several times. The term Negro, <laughs> is it racist? It's Who's weird and anachronistic. Who swears it's racist? Only white people. Okay, yeah. And I said, have you ever asked a black man? And I said, I'm going to ask a black man. It's uh, weird. It's anachronistic. Yeah. But is it racist? <laughs> I think, first of all, it's kind of like it's kind of like a Navy SEAL who I can turn anything into a weapon. Anything right. can be used poorly. How, like, yeah, so, yeah, however you use it. So if the, so yeah. if the clan goes, come here, Negro, I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's racist. Right. Uh, so I think that's one thing. It, it it's racist if because it's anachronistic, and if you use it on okay. somebody because you're you're ba- it, it's in a serious way. You're basically saying I I don't choose to address you the way that I know you want to be addressed. Okay. So that's it's like if you're if you if you introduce yourself, hi, my name is Bob. Whatever, Tom. Hey, man. Like, <laughs> and if somebody keeps calling you Tom, that becomes yeah, an insult. Now an, it doesn't. Well, it's annoying. Yeah, it sure. doesn't mean the word Tom in and of itself is bad. But it's like if somebody's okay. like, if you know, like I know this dude knows my name is Bob. So that's yeah. what you know. Or okay. it's the way that people do this to me, uh, like, and, and they, where they think it's funny, like, because my name is W. Kamau Bell. You can go on Wikipedia and find out the W's for Walter. I told yeah. Terry Gross. It's not like a secret I'm hiding. But then some people will be like, hi, Walter. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you know, yeah. a secret? Or like, yeah. you're, or like you're going, I'm going to call you by your real name. <laughs> I even saw it in an article recently, like, his given name is Walter. Yeah, so is Kamau. Yeah. Like, what are you trying to, they're trying to, you know, d- diminish the fact that, like, yeah. if I, ch- you know, I'm just going by my middle name. That's yeah. all I'm doing. Uh, this is good. Yeah. Okay. Because, so, yeah, because they, they're always like, no, Negro is racist. I'm like, well, if MLK yeah. and Booker T. Washington used it, it can't possibly be racist. Well, you still also, have the United Negro yeah. College Fund. Yeah. But then on the other hand, you also have the NAACP, and nobody goes around saying colored people. No, I think it's, it's all about context. It's <laughs> yeah. not – It's yeah. the, why, my question is why does a white person need to use the word Negro if they're not talking about the United Negro College Fund? Good point. Or they're not talking about the word – they're not speaking Spanish, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, like negro, yeah. negro. Negro. Yeah. I think yeah. that's the question. Like, why – what do you need – I mean, I call myself a Negro mm-hmm. all the time. Like, the, you know, this is the film out right now, I Am Not yeah. Your Negro by James Baldwin. Like, and But he only said, I am not your Negro because that's what they said then. Yeah. <laughs> that would be, I am not your African-American, you yeah. know, so – which is not as good of a title. The woman you were talking to in that conversation, it was interesting to me how she talks about how she kind of hates it because she's always in the position of kind of being a downer. Yeah. Yeah, in conversation yeah, with that's people, my favorite, and you my, relate to that. Huh? That's my favorite segment of the person who's like, "Yeah, that um, was a revelation." Yeah, it's sort of the but actually person. Or, or can I just one second? Hold on a second. <laughs> Let me slow you down. And I think that you, if you're living a life where you're 
job is to sort of be that person, and then in your personal life, your friends sort of use you as that person. Mm-hmm. You sort of sometimes be like, I, I always have to slow. Th- I always have to slow the flow of the conversation down because I have to yeah. correct people, and it's just. It's not fun, but it's the you know it's the yeah. things don't get better unless you unless you sort of like can shift the narrative and somebody's yeah. got to be the person who's like actually that's not how we say that anymore. Yeah, yeah. The whole problem seems to be nobody wants to have the conversation. You know, you don't want to be a nag, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. white people they're afraid to even bring up race because they're <laughs> afraid they'll say something stupid. Yeah, you yeah. know, or or, or some t- people or they, even yeah. even bringing up race maybe somehow in their mind seems. They they're afraid it's going to be racist. So, but there's yeah. also a thing where people are like, and this is true. Some white people are like I like to go back to your example. I just want to say Negro because that's how I grew up. <laughs> like there's that person who's like, yeah. well, that's not. Yeah, you don't get to control how the rest of the world right. is. You know, like the world is not moving at your pace. The world moves at its own pace. Yeah. So there's that person too who's like, well, I just when I was a kid, okay, fine. <laughs> You're not a kid anymore, are you? So that people want to people want to hold on to the familiar and hold mm-hmm. on to the thing that makes them comfortable. Right. And the only way we literally the only way we evolve as a society is by is by responding to the changes of the times mm-hmm. the, as I th- the times they are changing i think i invented yeah. that phrase but uh <laughs> that you have to sort of move on and go like when my mom was a kid colored was probably still the thing to say yeah or, you know yeah. it's the same it's but also at that time they didn't have microwaves and i remember when microwaves came out in the 80s and people were like i don't know about this they're putting radiation on my food <laughs> now it, you would be silly if you don't have a microwave and i know yeah. people don't have microwaves now like what are you doing other than slowing down the rate at which water heats up like why do i gotta wait yeah. for you to boil it so so for me, it's like this, and this is the same thing I feel about all this stuff. If you're going to accept all the other evolutions of society, accept the evolution of mm-hmm. society's treatment of people too. Yeah, yeah. Is that part of the problem that we just don't have these conversations enough in this country? We're, yeah, we're afraid I, to have them? I think part of the problem is that we don't have them and we think we're having them on social media. And mm-hmm. oftentimes mm-hmm. we're just, yeah. we're not really having them on social media. We're just sort of yeah. like, we're just sort of like, going at each other we're trying to score points on twitter and, and facebook we're trying mm-hmm. to like or, or in the comment section you read so many comment sections all the time you're like what are you even fighting about like what is that <laughs> like i'll sometimes just scroll down to the bottom of youtube because the great thing about youtube comments is that you can be watching a video about like you know uh you know it can be a video that's about a, a movie trailer for like the new star wars and you go to the comments and it's like well obama never like you're like what how did we get here you know so that I think people are sort of spinning their wheels thinking that they're having conversations, but they're actually just trying to score points. And I think the show is going the value of like actual sitting, actually sitting Mm -hmm. down across from people and having real conversations. Because a lot of the election was about, I think it's about people who were just misunderstood by each other. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we went to Appalachia for United States of America this season and talked to white people in coal country. And, you know, even though I saw Trump signs everywhere, we didn't talk about Trump. And he hadn't won yet, but we didn't, that wasn't the discussion. It was about like, what is your life like? What mm-hmm. do you, what what did Cole do for you that you're not doing now? What do you wish you would do? And I found out most of people we talked to were basically environmentalists. They're like, we don't, huh. I don't want the earth to, I don't want to ruin the earth through coal. I get the, that the way coal is mine can affect it, but I do want a job. Yeah. And you go, well, that's a different discussion. Because the the huh. news media makes it think like they have to be coal workers, right? Exactly. They're like, no, I just want, that's just the only job I know we have mm-hmm. here. We live in the mountains. We don't live near highways. There's not nobody's going to put a company here. Yeah. So we need jobs. The only job I know is in that mountain over there. Yeah. So it's like, and I yeah. think that's a different way of thinking about it. It's not about the job. It's about the fact that it's not about coal. It's about I, I want to provide for my family, and that's a different discussion. And if you yeah. have that discussion, then it's like, okay, what can we do to put an industry here? Are these people open to retraining and doing the things they need to do to get 21st century jobs instead they, of a coal it's job? It's the same. It's funny. The same problem they have in Appalachia is the same problem the they have in Chicago. That, is yeah. that 
they haven't been educated for that. Right. They so, haven't but, been. So, and it's also, and some of them are 40. Right. So it's like, you so know, what so do you it's do? like, yeah, yeah, it's like that thing where it's like, yeah, I would, I would like to be reeducated, but actually my kids need to eat today. <laughs> you know, like, so yeah. it's a, it's not that they're opposed to that, but they, they, the, the first worry is, is putting food on the table today. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the same. It's the same thing in Chicago, you yeah. know, the same thing in Appalachia. They're both like, I just want to provide for my family. And there's not a way to do that here in Chicago. Yeah. They don't have coal. They have they have trap music. <laughs> like that's the like that's yeah, like that I better get in those streets. You know, I better yeah. start. I better get a drop a mixtape. And I mean, that's what a lot of people think there. Whereas in coal country, trap music is not as big. But yeah. so there, it's just about like you know. I talked to a lot of people like I just want to have and coal. And this is what we talk about like this. At one point, coal was a hard way to make a really good living. Mm-hmm. Like you could make, you know, you're talking about coal right. miners making the like the equivalent of a hundred thousand dollars a year. Yeah, and it was not like a, an Alaskan Alaskan fisherman or something. Yeah, like that, where it's like know? it's not easy, but you can actually live a good middle class lifestyle mm-hmm. and provide for your family in a way. And there's, as we know, uh, we, the factories have all moved, so there's yeah. not a lot of jobs like that anymore. Yeah, and Walmart is not paying that, mm-hmm. even though they could. <laughs> you know, <laughs> a Walmart greedy could make a hundred thousand dollars a year, and Walmart can still be profitable, but they're not doing that. Well, you go to a seminar to find out what it's like to open carry while black. What was that like? I mean, it was really, I, I sort of, it sounds like a joke, but then we sat there and talked about it. And I was like, this is a real thing about like this, this black guy who carry, he carries a weapon and he's this is in Georgia where you can open, where open carry is legal. Right. So, which California is not legal to openly carry here. You can thank the Black Panthers for that. Uh, not them, <laughs> but you can thank the fact that the state was like, black people are openly carrying weapons. We got to change that. <laughs> So, but he was saying that you have to realize as a black person, like in, in Georgia, it's not a, what do they call it? You don't, it, whatever the law is, it's called like, you're not forced to report that you have a weapon on you. So you can have a weapon on you and you don't, just if a cop pulls you for a traffic stop, you're not supposed to go, some states you have to go just to let you know I have a weapon. Mm-hmm. But Georgia's not that state. And he was like, "Okay, forget that. Tell him." <laughs> like, you know? so, like, and that's the thing because we've seen that in the we've seen that in yeah. the media where like where like a Philando Castile, like people who yeah. are who are like legally abiding by the law, yeah. but but because there's a weapon on them, they're like, "I'm going to shoot this guy anyway." So for me, it's like that. He was like, "You have to sort of go above and beyond the spirit and mm-hmm. the letter of the law if you want to try to survive." And so that's a yeah. big to hear that you're like, you know, it's again. Yeah. I know this is a black. Never try to surprise world. a cop. <laughs> no, but also you're That's not just a good rule for it is life. A good it is a good rule, but it's like when the law says you don't have to tell the cop right. whether you're carrying a weapon, then you shouldn't have to tell him. But yeah. he's like, That's not how it works for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of things like that and there were a lot and we all the dudes we were with is all black men told stories about times they've been pulled over and times mm-hmm. of things happening. Wow. Just and you when you hear them back to back in a row, you're like and even as a black person who's had deals like yeah. Jesus, this is hard. So yeah. it, that's one of my and that whole episode is based on the premise of me going like should I buy a gun to protect my family? And I yeah. think it, I'm really I'm really excited about that episode coming out. Where else do you go this season? We uh, talk about buying a gun. We go to Puerto Rico, which is the first time we get out of the. Well, I guess we went to Alaska out of the continental United States, but we're off the yeah. off the North America grid and into a, a tropical island. So Puerto Rico is amazing. Uh, just to talk about why what what Puerto Rico is, it's not a state, it's not a commonwealth, yeah. and that kind of thing. And and because of Lin Manuel Miranda, we all talk about Puerto Rico now. <laughs> uh, we also went to uh, we did an episode in San Francisco's Chinatown to talk about the sort of the history of Chinatown in this country. And and in, in the, right as we talk about China as this sort of like future enemy, we sort of try to turn <laughs> China into an enemy, even though like we're not trying to be an enemy. Uh, to, you know, sort of talk about like the demonization of China and then and also how that filtered down into Chinatown. 
And uh, what else do we got? So we do an episode in uh, Dearborn and Hamtramck, Michigan. These are cities right outside of Detroit. Uh-huh. Uh, to talk about Muslims in a small town America. Okay. Yeah. So that's another one that I'm really excited about. Yeah. Too. There's a lot of there's a great scene in there where we go where I go to a halal butcher, uh, like a halal butcher shop. Not really a butcher shop, like a factory, a butcher factory. <laughs> like they they're doing they're doing commercial butchering, wow. and they explain to me how it works, and huh. and I, I watch an animal get butchered. Like an animal. That's nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. and we don't show That's it on pretty. camera because they're like, we okay. don't, we're not trying. But you can get reaction shots. You get to hear. Well, it's actually pretty cool. You get to hear me seeing it. So it's like okay. we it's, we show the front of the building and you hear me talking. The guy yeah. talking and he says the prayer and you can actually hear. Get ready for this, everybody. I'm sure we get a lot of tweets about this. You hear the sound of the blood. You hear the like yeah. the cut and the blood hit the floor. It's pretty. <laughs> It's pretty like intense, yeah. and then I talked to the camera afterwards about what it was. That's, it's again, <laughs> I'm trying to make TV that I'm not seeing on TV. Yeah. Well, before we go, I got to mention you have a book coming up May second. Yes, uh, sir. I'm not even going to try to say the title. Do you have oh, it memorized? Do you have it committed by, to oh, memory funny. by now? I absolutely do not have it committed okay. to memory. <laughs> I will, okay, so, then I will it's say. It's only my second interview then. The, awkward, the awkward Thoughts of W. Kamau Bell, Tales of a Six-Foot-Four African-American Heterosexual Cisgender Left-Leaning Asthmatic Black and Proud Blurred Whatever that is, Mama's Boy, Dad, and Stand-Up Comedian. Is Blurred the one you didn't know? I blurred, and I'm still I st- I'm still not 100 percent sure on cisgender. Well, that's funny because that's <laughs> the one. That I was like, I blurred know. is not the one that usually like just a guy. It's Jimmy Fox who produces United States of America. He's the one oh the wait, producers. black nerd. Uh, yeah, am I right? Go. Yeah, you got see. <laughs> okay. I was gonna blurred was pretty guess. big a couple years ago. Uh, but uh, yeah, but Jimmy Fox, he just emailed me. He's like, "Congratulations on the book coming out, man!" I had to Google cisgender, and I've heard that from a lot of people, <laughs> uh, which I learned that word during Totally Bias, my first TV show. Uh, all cis. I mean, I'm gonna say this wrong, so people who hear this, please. Or I'm not gonna say it as perfectly as I can. But the way I is like, when the gender that people think you are matches the gender that you know you are. So you look like a man. Are you a man? I won't be able to sleep because I'm gonna be trying to figure that one out. It's basically just like it's for well for those of us who when it matches. That's why you don't. Okay, understand. when it matches. Okay. Yeah, it's when it ma- it's like so. Okay. It's when it matches. So it means like as far you, as I know, I, it matches. It's, I, I, you to me look like a <laughs> man. Others might disagree. Yeah. You to me you look, you look like a man because you got you got fit, you got a goatee, you you sort of have man feelings. I feel okay. manly about you. Are you a man? Uh, I I think I am. Then you're Ask cisgender. My girlfriend. Then you're cisgender. <laughs> there you go. And so like if a, and whereas like it sort of means because we sometimes the problem in this country is we normalize identities that we think most people have, right? Instead of giving right. them a name. So it's the idea of like you. The idea of being straight only occurs when people go, well, there's people who are gay. Mm-hmm. So then how do we describe the the normal people, mm-hmm. quote unquote normal people, okay. is straight people. So cisgender is a way we have this whole identity of trans and all this. Yeah. Well, what are people who aren't that? Yeah. It's cisgender. Okay. Yeah, it's just okay. a way to sort of like understand that there is no normal is what this is. Okay. There there are percentages of people, but yeah. but often the percentages aren't as high as we think they are because some people have forced themselves to fit in whatever the idea of normal right. is. Right. Now, is this a collection of essays or what, it's what's it's the some idea memoir and so it's a mixture. It's like every comic book, it's some essays mm-hmm. and some memoir, but the overriding the overriding idea is that it's things in my life that I either felt awkward about or things that I am awkward about and how sort of learning to lean into the awkwardness I think has made me a better person. Yeah. And America's at a really awkward point right now. Yeah. And I think sometimes we want to retreat from the awkwardness and just start yelling at each other. And I'm like, no, let's lean into it. Yeah. Yeah. Favorite Denzel movie? Favorite. Uh, I'm going to have to go with Malcolm X. I try to sound okay. smart and say other ones, but Malcolm X, is it's his best performance. It may not be his best yeah. movie, but it's the one that is the most powerful. Mm-hmm. My favorite Denzel movie is... 
Okay, if I'm going to sound cool and funny and smart, Book of Eli is my favorite Denzel movie. That's probably the one I, okay. I go back to the okay. most often. That's a good one. Yeah. Now, what happens when you run out of movies? Because don't you do this every two weeks? Uh, we do. Show? It's it's the show's once a week, but I haven't been on it in a while because I've been okay. busy doing other things. But the, the Denzel that's listening are probably unhappy that I'm doing a podcast. It's not that podcast. But uh, we're very close. <laughs> I think we only have Malcolm X left. I think mm-hmm. we and we, but we've brought we bring guests on, so we bring guests on to talk about what we've already talked about. So yeah. I mean, but yeah, okay. at some point it's gonna we're gonna we're gonna run out. And also, we it, Denzel doesn't make three movies a year like some actors. So you know, <laughs> you know, we did Fences, but yeah. Equalizer Two is supposed to come out eventually. Does he like the podcast? I know Maybe he's not. aware of it. Yeah. I don't think he's a podcast guy, yeah. and I think rightfully so. I know he knows of it because we've had people on the show who know him. I think he thinks it's weird, which yeah. I'm okay. Which I feel like I, I'm sure. I, I, if he, I, we haven't gotten a cease and desist letter okay. yet. If we did, I we would stop. But I, but from what I understand, I, I don't think he's a guy who probably he's like he's only mm-hmm. in his 60s. He's not a guy who's yeah. like he doesn't do podcasts. Yeah. Like you don't. His closest thing to a podcast is Terry Gross. <laughs> like he's not. <laughs> so I don't. I think he. Yeah. I would understand if you. We're just an actor in the world, and somebody yeah. put out a show. You're the greatest actor of all time. Period. There's either two ways to respond: either like I got to do that show, or I'm never doing that show. I think, I think you should lean in on the weird, and next season just go full on into like a missing Richard Simmons type thing with Denzel. <laughs> just start following him, asking all his relative questions. Yeah, I don't want to be. I like weirdness. I don't like stalking yeah. people. I don't like. I don't like invasion of privacy. You know, I don't like. I'm not trying to do that. Like that. I mean, and I know the people who are doing the Richard Simmons thing, and I was oh, like, yeah? it sounds super fascinating. I would never want to do that to somebody. <laughs> well, I'm sure he appreciates that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't worry, Denzel. Not coming for you. Just gonna from far away thank you for your work the book comes out may 2nd and united shades of america returns for its second season on cnn on sunday april 30th at 10 p.m eastern w kamal bell thanks for talking with me thanks for having me (laughs) just a reminder folks that bosch is back for season three titus welliver stars as detective harry bosch an honest cop driven by a dark past who's obsessed with punishing criminals no matter what the cost. Based on the best-selling novels by Michael Connelly, stream season three now on Amazon Prime. Thanks again to W. Kamau Bell for joining me on the podcast. The season premiere of United Shades of America airs this Sunday, April 30th at 10 p.m. Eastern on CNN. For more information, including behind-the-scenes extras, visit cnn.com slash unitedshades. And for more information on W. Kamau Bell, including upcoming live performances, visit wkamaubell.com and follow Kamau on Twitter at at wkamaubell. His new book, The Awkward Thoughts of W. Kamau Bell, hits the bookshelves May 2nd, but you can pre-order it on Amazon now. Be sure to subscribe to Kick-Ass News on iTunes and leave us a review while you're there. Don't forget to take our listener survey. It only takes five minutes at podsurvey.com slash kick. You can visit Kick-Ass News on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at at kickassnewspod. And be sure to recommend Kick-Ass News to your friends on your social media. And if you really want to help out, then donate to our GoFundMe campaign at gofundme.com slash kickassnews or click on the donate button at kickassnews.com. As always, I welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions at comments at kickassnews.com. For now, though, I'm Ben Mathis, and thanks for listening to Kick-Ass News. 
Kick-Ass News is a trademark of Mathis Entertainment, Inc.